Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Good to be in church today! Right. Okay, um, I think I may need to move about a bit before I get settled, but... I think you may have your seats, but actually I may ask you to stand shortly. Um, so firstly, I'd, I'd like to uh, thank the leadership of the house, personal pastor, and my team of pastors, um, for this privilege, um, this treasured privilege. Um, so today is, today is the first of many things, but I would say today is, one of the key things actually is that today is the first time that I'll be here and Pastor Dami will be right here. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, other times he's probably in a way, you know, he streams and there is, isn't that, but trust God to help me. Um, so I, I, in celebrating the leadership, I would, I would want us to, I'm rising our feet as we celebrate the team of pastors. Um, amazing people, amazing gifts God has sent to us as a tribe, as a family. Um, couple of services, both Sunday and come, have been, wow. I mean, Thursday was, pff. who would have thought that there would be such a thing as the Nebuchadnezzar? <laughs> like, like, I mean, we, we thought we've, like, you know, you get, and let's, let's, I mean, let's just celebrate our pastors once again, for liberal love, um, for their teaching, as we have our seats. Um, yeah, uh, so far, I guess a, a, a few um, or some disclaimers for those of us who are seeing this for the first time. Um, yeah, this is, this is kind of like me, right? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that, I know it's not falling on me yet, but so pretty much we're having a conversation, um, and, and I believe conversations are powerful things that can, that can change your thinking, change your mind, um, and... One of the reasons why I really like conversations is because they get you to engage the content as opposed to just take in and take in, like you engage and see where it fits in and it puts into a framework. So we're having a conversation and I would really love for us to engage. Um, so, I mean, if I say something somewhere and you're like, ah, prepare questions, have questions. I typically like taking questions towards the end. Um, so, um, let's see what God will do, right? All right, so today's... Um, or, or the title of the conversation we're having today, or the, the overarching topic of the conversation we're having today is of struggles and, sorry, one second, okay. Of struggles and reality. Um, but before we go there, I just need to do a, like a quick recap that I had already started. Um, what a season we've been in. Um, there has been such an interesting and uh, I'll probably say unparalleled, at least in, in my short experience, teaching of, of God's word over the last couple of weeks. Um, if you missed any part of the Jonah's Diaries, you really need to go back. Um, I know a, lo a lot of us who grew up in church grew up hearing the story of Jonah, but my, oh my, that, that was like a different perspective entirely. It almost felt like I had never read the book, right? So I'd encourage you to go back because um, I'll be picking a few things from, from that series as well as the thing with elephants, right? So please, you can go to the next slide. I'm already, I'm already there. Um, so it's been an interesting season, and funny, funny enough, we've been talking about, well, there have been animals in the conversations. So it's like, 
whales and elephants and everything in between. Right? Well, I'm guessing, um, I would say for those of us who, next slide please, um, who have had similar conversations with me in times past, one of the key questions on your mind would likely be, what did reality do to you, this guy? Because I mean, from Schrodinger's, I can't remember the title of that thing again. <laughs> right, Schrodinger experiments to a number of things, you almost see that there's like a recurring thing about, a question about reality, like what is reality, what's going, how you, I mean, I think, so I, I sort of wore this shirt today by mistake, but it, it happened. And only this belief creates reality. It's almost like, okay, there's, there's something going on here. But here's the thing we reality about reality is that, contrary to popular belief, facts do not present themselves the same way to everybody. Like, we can both look at a fact, and both of us would come out with completely different <laughs> doctrines, right? <laughs> A completely different set of facts from what we both observed. Um, and the truth is, more often than not, we go about living our lives based on that which we have interpreted. Uh, I think it's something that Pastor Dami has shared before, really powerful thought that the, the interpretation of an event is as powerful, if not more powerful than the event itself. Because the same thing can happen to two different people and they take out two different facts from that same event. Um, but it is in the changing of, you know, you guys are wrong, you know. Um, but it's in the changing of your thinking or your perception of reality that you actually change your life. Um, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Um, then we see that one of the goals of education, the major goal of education really is to elevate your mind, elevate your thinking so that you are thinking circumspectly, you're not myopic. That's one of the reasons why they cram you down with so many courses that are unrelated to what you chose. I mean, I'm doing geography. What's my concern with? I won't say it. Um, but biblically speaking as well, we see how that um, conversations, or from conversations, perceptions of, um, perceptions of a fact or an event that happened has changed. And I think the very key one that, or the very recent one actually that would come to mind is the story of David Bathsheba, how that he went through all of that, not perceiving the fact of what happened in the way he then perceived it after the conversation with Prophet Nathan, right? So it was fact. Both persons witnessed it, but both persons came out with different facts, technically. Um, and then lastly, about reality. Um, when we all witness facts that happen, and I think this happens right from birth, uh, we tend to form maps of the world or how we think the world works in our heads. And usually when you get frustrated or, or a learning opportunity is when the world doesn't work according to the model in your head and you're like, okay, what's going on here? And then it's an opportunity to learn, it's an opportunity to research, it's an opportunity to rethink what is it that you thought had, you had believed about the world, right? And it was such a gaping hole that um, actually led me to having this conversation with myself, the Holy Spirit, and led us here eventually. So, next slide. Let, let's, start, let's now start on the topic where right? I've explained my beef with reality, and you guys understand it, so let's move. Um, the struggle is real. Um, yeah, we cannot continue. And I'm sure some people may be thinking, ah, P.I., what do you know about struggles? Fresh guy, chill, t-shirts. Um, you probably think I live in a bubble of privilege, and I think to a certain extent, everybody lives in a bubble of privilege, right? Um, but yeah, some more than others. But I guess the first thing I would say, next slide please, is that um, your leaders, mentors, pastors, uh, teachers are humans too, right? 
I, I don't think I need to quote. Elijah was a man of, right? Um, Jesus was as much human as he was God, right? So it may not look like it, it may not seem like it, but yeah, everybody goes through stuff, <laughs> right? Um, there's something people used to say about this whole Nigerian thing, and I didn't really like it, that uh, you could touch everybody, right? And I, I didn't really like it, but the more you look, it seems like you don't need to touch everybody, like one way or the other. I, I, I won't share an experiment, but it's almost like there's a national cake that is being shared and everybody would collect, right? The national cake we had been asking to be shared, right? Um, but the, the thing is that these struggles and this touching of everybody is actually just beyond, is beyond the Nigerian shows. It's not unique to Nigeria. Um, for those of us who perhaps read wide, follow what's going on, you hear about the heat waves in Europe, you hear about what's going on in Sri Lanka, you hear about Ukraine, like, it's everywhere, right? Um, so it then begs the question, why is life so difficult? Who, who did we offend? Like, what, what happened? How, how, did, how did we get here, right? Um, and I think the first thing, I'm sure we all know the answer to the question, but just, just to paint that clear basis to build upon, is that the fall effectively put an end to soft life. Right? So you look at pre-fall um, from Genesis to eight, you see how God had prepared the garden first, then put man in it and said, you know, freely eat, have fun, right? Um, exact chop life, right? Um, and then post-fall, you see God go, um, you will eat, like it's from the third of your sweat that you eat, right? It's not, there's no garden waiting for you somewhere. Um, let me not get ahead of myself. Right, but, but basically, that's, that's, that's what happened. Pre-fall, pre it was um, chill, eat, and tend. Now it's before you eat, you must work. And yeah, I'm guessing someone may come and be like, hey, excuse me, sir. Uh, that's Old Testament. Um, next slide, please. Christ has redeemed us from the cost of the law and thereby nullifying that cause. And like, you are stuck in the past. We're in the new, things are done by grace. I agree with you. Um, but before you say it's Old Testament realities, next slide. We look at verses in the Bible, Galatians 6, 7, God cannot be mocked. Um, whatever a man sows, as well reap. Um, and I think there's a particular version that I'm trying to remember which one that says, God cannot be mocked or made a fool out of. And it just basically brings us back to that whole Genesis thing and probably gives you the, the, the reasoning or the thread that led to, you know what, walk and eat. It was almost like, I gave you a bee, and that's the reason why this happened. So you know what, Not, want it, walk for it, then eat it. Like, um, and then you see in Second Thessalonians where um, it, it was written that we have instructed you as such, the one who will not walk should know it. Right, so it's, it's New Testament, and I mean, if. Even if we're going by definition of scripture, how that um, in Jesus speaking, speaking about himself, because I'm, I'm sure we all know that in the New Testament there were no, uh, there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus was quoting from. It was basically quoting from what we refer to as the Old Testament, right? Uh, we talk, you see Psalms 123 verse 2 talking about the blessing, how God says that he will bless the work of your hands, right? We see Proverbs 13 2 talking about eating the fruit of your lips. Think about this. Salvation. As important as it is, as crucial as it is, it's not auto-applied, right? There is the confessing with your lips. You don't just think it in your head. You don't just 
you get. So there's the fruit of, there's the eating of the fruit of your lips, there's the sowing or the, <laughs> the eating or reaping what you sow, right? Okay, you bring something to the table. And I think this also, I think it reminds me of, I think this was Thursday or Pastor Dami teaching, talking about desperation, how that there is that principle. I'm not going to go too deep. He really did a wonderful job explaining that. So if you missed calm, you know where to go. Right? We do? Great. All right. So next slide. Um, Jesus speaking in John 16, 33, said, um, in this world, you would have trouble. Take heart. Right? Um, trouble there, Philipses. Um, pressure, burdens, persecution, tribulation, trouble shall. When we are there now. And I mean, at this point, what... Okay, so I think let me explain. The take heart is basically take heart because I have overcome the world. So he's like, in this world you have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Here's another question I'm asking, it's a random question. So why tell us? Like you've overcome the world, right? So at the end of the day, last, last, it will be all right. Not shopping breakfast here. Um, last, last will be all right. So why tell us, why go through the trouble of telling us that there will be trouble? Why not just tell us every little thing it's gonna be all right, because it's gonna be all right at the end of the day, right? So like, why bother tell us that in this world you have trouble? Something to think on, I'll answer it as we go along. Anywho, so summary is that in the world is rigged to benefit those who labor. That's, what, that's where the world is set up now. Um, you sow, you reap bread to the eater, seed to the sower. But as always, we're left with a choice. You can either run from it or embrace it head on. Or as I said, learn from it, but this is not Rafiki. Right, um, so generally you always have that choice. One may oscillate between running from it, so maybe you run today, you embrace it tomorrow, or you embrace it in this particular area, you run from it in the other area, but there is no in between. Those are the only broad options that exist. You either run from it, trying to minimize it, or you embrace it, put in the work, so reap, do all of that. Um, and it is in exploring these two options that brings us to the second um, section of our conversation today, which has to do with the pains of hedonism. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Right? And if you read, or I mean, if, if you were part of, or you read um, Push Buttons earlier, and this was familiar with, easily me. So look at the picture. Welcome to what? Great. All right, let's, let's move on. Um, if you read push button, um, but if you didn't, you're probably like, he, what again? Nah. What has he done? Right? Um, well, in, in a nutshell, hedonism is basically the family of theories that have the opinion that instant gratification of pleasure, or satisfaction of, or satisfaction of desires, is the highest good and proper aim in life. So, in a nutshell, is What's responsible or painful? Nah, I don't want to, do, I don't want to deal with that. Um, but what I want, what makes me feel good now, let's do that now. Um, so, I'm sure some of us hear this term and think, it's not me you're talking about now, right? Can't be me. I work hard, I do this, I, I put in the work. It's, it's not, you're preaching to the choir, sir. It's not me you're talking about. Um, 
But here's, here's the question I want to ask you. Have you ever said or bought into the idea, do whatever makes you happy? Whatever makes you happy, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, what song is that? I can't remember. Anyway, but that, that, that term, that idea, that ideology is sisters. So he does him. Like, YOLO, you only live once, so live like there is no tomorrow. Spoiler alert, there is. And even after death, there is the hereafter. So like, why? From where? I'm sure this thought or this idea started out harmless in itself. Someone was probably just having a bad day and wanted to chill, take a break. I said, you know what, just do whatever makes you happy. And we've now sort of taken or trust human beings to take things to the extreme, right? It's not making me happy, I'm not doing it. Well, let me not get ahead of myself. All right. But here are two questions I typically ask when someone poses an idea to me. Um, what does this idea get you? Like, what's the end result, right? And then, who do you become in the process? Um, th those are two key questions. I'll, I'll quickly address those. So the first question, what does this idea get you, yeah? The first value of this woke ideology, right, is turned on his head. Hence the irony of, um, the irony of pain-induced or, yeah, would I say pain-induced pleasure now, pleasure-induced pain? One of the two. But how that, in trying to avoid pain, you inadvertently end up there. You inadvertently cause it. Um, but first things first, the way we're wired, uh, the way our brains are wired, um, the good chemicals, the happy ones, they're never enough. Um, there was a monkey experiment where monkeys were rewarded for doing um, a certain performing a certain task. And then, I mean, initially when they increase the reward, the monkey gets excited and does it more. And then after a while, it just plateaus and he's, he doesn't reach that level of excitement for doing the same task, except you up the reward. And it just keeps going and going and going and going. Um, the fear and avoidance of pain and suffering often, often leads to it. So think about if you have an injury and then you decide not to move that arm for a bit. Um, what would happen is that you would, the muscles there would likely atrophy and that would even cause you more pain over time. Um, there's a shock experiment, but let's not get into that. There's also the thing of causality, how that, more often than not, when people are talking about or thinking of maximizing pain now, or sorry, pleasure now, they do not think about the ripple effects down the line. Um, and then lastly, utopia is impo impossible on this side of the divide. No matter how, how hard you try, no matter how much you try to maximize pleasure, that state of utopia is, is impossible. It's really impossible. I mean, the, the Bible speaks to um, people whose, I'm trying to remember the verse now, that they're, they're never satisfied, they, they can never satisfy their desires, right? Um, and then we also see in Proverbs 21, 17. So if I was going to ask anybody what a picture of a soft life is, right? Yeah, probably chilling in the Bahamas, you know, um, seashells. What's, what's the happening place now? Mauritius, eh? Santorini, right? Um, typically, people you find that do those things have some, some bar, have some money somewhere, 
that can fund that source life. Guess what Proverbs 21 17 says? Let's read it. Proverbs 21 and 17. Well, someone has seen it and you're laughing. Okay. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. No missing words. No, no deep proverbs where you're trying to find out whether the lion means or it's straightforward. He that loves pleasure, poverty street. <laughs> He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. So on the face value of this idea, it is in and of itself empty. It cannot deliver on that which it opines. Technically speaking, doing whatever makes you happy does not make you happy. All right, so I, I had a little note here. Um, I, it has to do with dopamine addiction, and, and I guess it's just something to put into context. Um, dopamine addiction is not necessarily, or can be anything really, because dopamine gets triggered based on um, reward. Dopamine is basically a reward center. If you do something that makes you happy, it rewards you and encourages you to repeat that activity. One of the things fasting does is that it helps you detox. And what that does is help you, helps you reset your baseline depending on how long you do that, you go on that fasting for. So if you were doing certain things um, over a time and they were giving you a certain amount of pleasure, fasting resets, so they were giving you a certain amount of pleasure and you were sort of racking up the required amount of that thing you needed to get excited. Fasting helps you hit the reset button. Yeah, so as much as possible, fast. All right, so we've looked at the face value. Um, okay, you've, you guys have gone too far, sorry. We're not looking at the spiritual implication of this ideology, right? Um, Romans 8 goes into, into details talking about how that um, to be led by the fleshly desires, to be carnally minded is enmity with God, um, and it's hostility with God, like there's, there's no connect there. So on the spiritual side of things, doing whatever makes you happy, you being your flesh, or your desires, your pleasures, is enemy with God. There is no connect there. And the reward for that is death. Wages of sin is death. Hmm? Romans 8, 13 speaks to that as well. And then I think Philippians 3, 19 is the one that perhaps tries to spell this out um, without necessarily talking about sin. Right? And it, it was referring to a group of people, and in describing them, the first thing it said about them in that verse is that they're... Their place is death. One second. Let's just quickly read that. Philippians uh, 3.19. I'll probably start from 18, actually. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, piggybacking on the fact that, hey, walking after your fleshly desires is enmity with God, right? 19. Whose end is destruction? Whose God is their belly, who they will be, their desires, pleasures. Whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Right? 
So on the spirit on the face value, let's even leave spirituality, let's quote unquote leave spirituality out of it. The ideology is empty in and of itself. On the spiritual side of things, it's also not fulfilling. Your end is I mean you may have the was term fleeting pleasures, right? But the end result, what you get is destruction. Um, so seeing as it's a losing game on both on both sides, on both sides, face value, uh, spiritual perspective as well. Doing whatever makes you happy cannot be the yardstick. It can't be the goal. That can be why you live. That can be how you make your decisions. That can be how you go about doing stuff. Um, I was going to talk about um, the concept of the greater good, how that in, in talking about all things being lawful but not things being expedient, he, he talked about how that his conscience or his activity or his liberty is sort of limited by the conscience of those around him, right? So it's, hey, this thing may be good for me, but there is a greater good beyond my pleasure. There's a greater good beyond what I want, right? Um, and then you see in Galatians 5.13 talking about liberty, how that we have received liberty in Christ, not to sin, but in love and service to one another, right? Okay. Second part of the question is, who do you become in the process? And I believe this is something we answered in push buttons um, last week, Monday, so I'll, I'll quickly breeze through. It's a simple question. If all you get is what you want, how you want it, and when you want it, what kind of person would you become? I mean, it's a couple of things come to mind. A selfish, self-serving person, because it's all about what I want. I want it now, I don't care. You will likely also be, such a person will likely also be unstable and inconsistent. Today you want this, tomorrow you want that, and you want it all now. Um, does that mean, what do we want? We don't know, when do we want it now? Right? <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that's, that's, that's kind of the picture. Um, and then, this person also becomes malcontent. Um, there's, there's a, apparently I learned that there's a difference between malcontent and discontent. Discontent is a state. Malcontent is a person. They can be discontented about something, but a malcontented person is discontented all the time, right? Um, so this person is malcontent and akin to tantrums. You don't get what you want, so yeah, right? And the fact that you can't exactly be truly satisfied is a challenge for you and everybody around you. Who does this person sound like? A baby. Ill prepared for the realities of life, hence the shielding within parenthood. Um, and then having undeveloped muscles, can't go far, can't do stuff, can't take care of this oneself, right? And in my own books, this is the only group of human beings that are allowed to consistently and constantly relax and be taken care of without any prior work. So please, work, then you can relax and be taken care of. But without the prior work, because I mean, you sow, you reap, you chill, right? Um, without that prior work, I don't see why anybody should and I'll, I'll make a slight detour um, to talk about something that came up in a conversation, I think, earlier in the week or about two weeks ago. Um, so I was speaking with someone, and, and the question was about church service. Like, I mean, I can serve God in my, from my house at work. Um, basically, I can serve God without necessarily being a worker in a church. Yes, I agree with you. However, think about this. Um, the Bible says God sets the solitary in where? Great. So you, you get born again. Um, you're technically a babe. You get placed in a family. The family grooms you. The family raises you. 
And here's the simplest analogy to use, actually. Think about having a child, a kid, that grows up. You feed this child. You train this child. You educate this child. And this child does not contribute to the running of the house. Not even as little as washing the dishes. How far? So in marrying the idea that you can serve God without necessarily being a worker in church, it's possible. But there is a disconnect if that church or that house has fed you, grown you, groomed you, educated you, and has basically contributed significantly to your growth. And you are not giving back in any way. There's, there's a disconnect there. Right, detour over, let's move on. Right, so um, we then see the Bible talking about children, um, how children behave. Ephesians 4.14, where it talks about, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here, here and there by waves and every fleeting drug doctrine, right? So describing children tossed to and fro. First Corinthians 3 wants to speak to the same or similar thing. And I, brethren, speak to you, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, right? Galatians 4.1 now brings out, now paints a clear picture, right? Now I say to you that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all, underline at all, make it bold, from a slave, though he's master of all. I'll take it again. As, now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, as long as he remains tossed to and fro, as long as he stays in the position of do whatever makes, I do whatever makes me happy, does not differ at all from his slave, though he is master of all. This will bring us to the next section of our conversation, right? Uh, the illusion of freedom. And I've subtagged this, the making of a master slave, right? So let's, let's basically take a look at what we've discussed so far. So to do what you want, right, when you want, how you want it, is childishness. Childishness is technically slavery. So to live the soft life, free to do whatever, you, whatever makes you happy, is to remain a slave. I'll let that sink in for two seconds. I think let's read Romans 6, 16. Um, so something interesting here. Don't you know that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye will be, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Remember that thing I said earlier on, how that there are only two options. There is no in-between, there is no middle ground. You're either here or there, at best. <laughs> best in inverted quotas because you're trying to find a middle ground, right? Um, you can oscillate. What that gets you at the end of the day is it leads to lukewarmness, and sooner or later, someone will. I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place. Yeah. Um, so you, you have to choose. There is no in between, there is no easy way out. You're either yielding yourselves or 
yielding your bodies to your pleasures or the other way? Uh, one second, okay. No, I have a question, right? Because usually yielding yourselves to your pleasures is, it seems like the, I wouldn't say no-brainer thing to do, but on face value, it's almost like, this is what I want, this is how I feel, I should just do that. And at the same time, it feels like this church thing, this God thing, being a Christian, is trying to take the fun out of life. So I have a question. Do you honestly think God wants to cramp your style for the fun of it? Like, just because. I mean, after all, he's a jealous God, right? Right? So I'll ask the question in, again, but in perhaps a, a clearer term or one that will bring it home. So if a car manufacturer, you bought a car, the car manufacturer gives you a manual on how to use that car. Is it in a bit to cramp your style or control you? I'll tell you a story. Something happened to me um, recently, not too recently though. Um, so I used to play with drones back in the day and my last drone sort of spoiled. So I got one maybe like two months ago, a month or two. And when I got there, I was really excited. Finally, it's here. I, I brought out the package. There was manual. It was half Chinese, half English. I, was like, eh. I brought out the drone. I put in the batteries. And within five seconds, I broke two blades. Yeah. I was pretty much relying on what I had known about drones, what I had thought I knew about drones, to fly this drone, without reading my because this man has a long story, like, why? It's not, it's not drone, it's not fly. We'll press the button to fly, and yes, it flew. That's the funny thing. It's not like it sat down on the ground and the, the blades broke. It flew. It seemed as though my assumptions were correct. Right? Five seconds. Two blades. <laughs> yeah. Um, safe to say I went to read the manual. Religiously. Um, and I think that's, that's really the thing, right? We, we think about this and think, oh, there is a way to life based on perhaps what we know, what we've seen. And we're like, see this Bible thing is boring. This Bible thing is going to take the fun out of life. I'm not about that. God is trying to kill the fun. No. He built you. He knows you. I mean, five seconds for my drone can be five years for you, but there is a way that seems right. The end thereof is... So it's not in a bid to cramp your style or kill the phone, right? It's actually protection. Next slide, please. The truth shall set you free. Um, and this, um, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Um, free from damaging two blades. In five seconds. But I'll answer one of the questions I asked earlier on. How, uh, the question was, why did God tell us there will be troubles? Why? Because to be forewarned is to, is to be forearmed, right? So imagine, you didn't tell me, so you told me, oh, all this, uh, I, don't, I don't know what, have you ever hit your leg before on something that you thought was going to move? You honestly thought it was going to move? Nobody. Wow. 
Ah, okay. That pain is worse than if you just normally hit it. Like if you are walking and you do not know something was there, you hit it. That's fine. Ah, pain, voila. But you thought something was going to move and you hit it. <laughs> because the, the, <laughs> the first retreat you would have hit that. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, to, to be forewarned is to be forearmed, and I, I, I tend to define frustration as the gap between what you have in your head and what you have in your hand. Like, the gap between the reality or the map of the world you have and what is playing out right in front of you, because they're like, okay, why is this thing not working the way it's supposed to work? Like, why? So, hey, give you a heads up. At, at the end of the day, it's all good, it's all chill. I've overcome the world, but hey, that journey is going is, is to be something. Um, but yeah, stop. Stop relying on, stop the guesswork with life. Stop relying on baseless assumptions in attempting to run your life or fly a drone or there is a manual. The manufacturer puts it there for a reason, not to cramp your style, but to protect you. Um, I think let's read um, Romans 7. 14, 20, and then we'll read Hebrews 4. Um, okay. Just opening here. Okay, so here, here Paul's speaking. Um, and the summary of the Jews basically is what I want to do, I'm not doing it. But uh, what I don't want to do is what I'm doing. Um, let's read. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. For what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I'll stop there for, for a minute. Um, there's a whole conversation around the sin nature and how it is one of the reasons or one of the primary reasons why we or human beings or the flesh or the human body longs after these things that seem to be, not seem, that are in opposition to God's will, in opposition to the manual of how life is meant to be run. Yeah, Paul speaking, saying that, hey, it's not me. But the challenge is that it's jumbled up. Because it's not like when a thought drops into your head, the thought announces to yourself, to, to you that, hey, this is the flesh speaking, right? It doesn't um, announce to you that this is the spirit speaking. Like, it doesn't come with, um, thus says the Lord, when it drops in your head or when those desires come. But this is where the truth comes in. Um, Hebrews 4. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, let anyone, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God, the manual, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit. Soul here being psyche, um, spirit being pneuma. So basically a thought drops into your, your head. The word of God is what divides and tells you, hey, this is what this is, and that's what that is. It's not a feeling. It's the word of God. It's a manual. It's immovable. It's unshakable. 
it's fixed, right? Um, and it's a discernment of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Heart here being cardia, um, the seat of center of all physical and spiritual life, right? So it's pretty much where everything passes through before it gets into action. So the truth setting you free is you shall know the truth and the truth shall help you discern and set you free from erring or going with business assumptions and um, guesswork in how to live your life, right? So it is not what makes you happy. It is not what makes you feel good. It's not even necessarily what makes you feel bad, right? But it is the truth, the word of God, the word of truth, right? There's the, there's the elephant analogy, um, how that you, I think, I've actually not even gone to check if this is accurate, but I've heard it a number of times. So it's almost become folklore. If you are raising an elephant and you tie a neck around his leg and he just knows that this is the bandwidth, when it grows older, you lose that neck, um, chain. It still remains within that bandwidth because it doesn't know. So, put this on says free is free indeed, right? You've been set free, but thoughts drop, but you need the word of truth to rightly divide so that you know and act accordingly. Right, so let's, let's, let's quickly move. And one of the most powerful things that I think I've learned this year from Pastor Dami is a simple statement. A blessed man is known by what he does not do. You said the Psalms, how the very first thing is, blessed is the man who walks not. No, no, no. It didn't start with, blessed is the man who has 30 billion in his account. Right, it didn't start with blessed is the man who has plenty. The definition of a blessed man started with what said man does not do. The man basically would have told me, don't fly this thing in this and that and that. Press this before you press that, before you press that. And so it's not saying, oh, anyway, let's leave the drone. It's still pending me, shall. What we find nowadays are people refrain from these nuts. Don't, because it's giving shackles. Whenever you find yourself avoiding shackles, not the take shackles off my face, it's not that one. Right, but an event or a series of events that you are running away from because it's giving shackles, I'll say be careful. Where is, where is that coming from? Ask yourself, is this simply because I want to be happy? Or is there a fundamental and underlying reason for this that is based on the word of truth, based on truth? Right, so we've talked about what makes you happy, childishness, childishness, slavery, what's the way out, right? Switch yokes. So recall how we've said that one way or the other, you're making a choice, you're, you're picking a yoke. The idea is basically just switch your yoke. Um, you see in Matthew 11, um, Jesus speaking, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find what? What sort of life are you looking for again? The sort of life you're looking for outside is right here within the shackles, quote unquote. Right? Um, we see how in Proverbs 22, 15, the Bible talks about foolishness being bound up in the heart of a child. 
But the word of discipline, the word of correction. Lord, I'll, 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 for this particular one, I'll prefer to stick with the term discipline. Um, you see Lamentations 3, 27, talking about how that it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Because it will drive out certain foolishness real quick, right? And you would be stable. Next slide. Is it freedom? Really? Think about it. You were a tortoise walking about. You had this heavy shell, this heavy burden on your back. Made you move about really slowly. Um, so you say, you know what? I'm, I'm not about this life, right? I'm done with this shell. I'm done with this shackle. And you come out. Anything contrary to God's word, God's design, because that's, that's how he designed tortoise, right? Um, the lying vanity. And you see how that in Jonah 2 8, those who observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. You see that shell? <laughs> that's the tortoise's mercy. By coming out of that in an illusion of freedom, he's basically exposing himself to so much more. Probably would end up losing more than two blades. Um, but <laughs> the sergeant Jopa, for example, th think about it. Um, Jonah had received a word of truth. Hey, go do this. I was like, you know what? I'd rather do this. And we all know how that ended up. Well, and eventually he had to come back, right? So a life without the shell, a life without the shackle looks soft. But is it? A question. Next slide. Maturity is a choice. Responsibility is a choice. You are free to choose, but you are not free to choose the consequence of your action. What's that thing they say again? Freedom of speech, but... Right? You get to choose at the end of the day. Like, God is not a slave driver. I mean... The irony or the think about think of, think about how hilarious this is. Someone comes here and says, I place before you life and death. Choose life. And it's not it's not anything of I'm forcing down life your throat because I want you to be like, hey, choose life. By the end of the day you get to choose. Um, which brings us to the next section. Do hard things. I'm going to add something to it this time. Do hard things consistently. <laughs> okay. Um, so this, of course, takes a leap from push buttons. Uh, so I'll run through a couple of things, and then we'll get, get to, I'll probably say the crux of the matter, which is, for this morning, consistency. Um, hardships or hard times create strong men and women. James 1, 3 to 4, aspire to Maguire version. Um, there, there, were, there were times when I had conversations with, with a, a mentor of mine. Um, and one of the questions I, I asked her at the time was, does it get any easier? Like, because <laughs> as kids, we always wanted to be adults, right? <laughs> uh, and so at some point, I thought, you know what, maybe there is, there is a pop, there's a, there's a 
the point where you flip the switch and you're like, oh, that cost in, right? I was like, no. I'm like, what? One of the things I have learned so far is that life tends to get harder sometimes because we don't. Because, like it or not, as the older you grow, as you mature, the responsibilities on you increase. If you skip certain classes, skip certain workouts, skip certain hard things, they would be harder for you down the line. Um, you see Romans 8, 18 talking about how that the light affliction is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed where? In you. Right? Uh, you see how 1 Timothy 4 talking about how um, bodily exercise profited little. It does profit something, Sha, and I'm seeing some of it. But, um, yeah. but godliness... <laughs> ah, I just forgot. <laughs> anyway, but, but godliness profits is, gives much gain, Right? Godliness is basically rising above the earthly. Godliness is godlike. Like you're not tossed around through by things of this world. Your mind is not set on the pleasures of this life, right? Um, there's Hebrews 6, but we'll read that further down the line. Um, anointing takes the shape of the container, right? So we see, regardless of how anointed one may be, laying of hands and all of that, um, it's expression. It's, it is limited by how much the, capa the capacity of the person who is anointed. And we see um, the story of the woman with the jar of oil um, and, and how that the oil stopped flowing when she ran out of jars. If she had more jars, the anointing would have kept going. Right? So you're only limited by that. So, and so and I guess the other bit of that, your afflictions are on your payroll. And this, this was from the Kappa miniseries. Anybody? Great. Um, this Pastor Dami, by Pastor Dami. And he shared five things, I think in the version two of that particular series about five things to do when you're going through a lot. And we'll talk about it a lot shortly. Um, but it's, it's something I would encourage for us to go back and listen to because um, it seems like we'll be going through a lot um, for a while. <laughs> well, yeah, your afflictions are basically on your payroll, right? The hardships are building you. The hardships are building capacity. That's where the kappa came from, right? And here's, here's quick advice. If you're going through a lot, don't stop. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Wait, am I the only person who knows that song? Okay. <laughs> All right, but I mean, the question is, why would you even want to stop? Like, if you're going through hell, do you want to stop there? Like, is, is that really where you want to stop? Go ahead. Keep moving, right? Here's the thing, I think deep down we all recognize these truths. Because I know they've been taught from this pulpit and I mean from basically watching other people who have done stuff with their life. People who have um, having beacons. You see that there is that, there's always that season of hardship, that, that season where they build capacity. So deep down we all recognize these truths, right? Um, but often, more often than not, the challenge is consistency. Because I just want to be happy. Wanna be? Okay, let me stop. Um, gym story, right? My gym story. So I've, I've sort of tried or attempted um, gymming three distinct times in my life. The very first time I was dedicated, I got dumbbells, I got uh, supplements, I walked out, and after a month, I did not see anything. So I stopped. 
Um, and I mean, that's typically how things with hardship work, or, or that's how you build capacity, or that's, that's the thing about building capacity. You don't see the results on the first day. And if you stop, regardless of how long you've gone, everything is all wiped off. Like, so if all I needed to do was go one more month, and then I'll probably be dragging with AY now. Uh, all of that, Tine. <laughs> uh, okay, some people don't believe I can drag with Director AY. Okay. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> Let me not see what crossed my mind. <laughs> but here's the thing, um, Romans, uh, sorry, Hebrews 6, 11 12 speaks to how um, that it's, it's key to do, to stay on to the end. I think I'll just quickly read that. Um, Hebrews 6, 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Do not become sluggish. Stay diligent until the end. I mean, we see scriptures about steward needing to be found faithful, running to win the prize. Even if you stop halfway, you're not going to win any prize. You need to get to the finish line. Um, scripture admonition us not to draw back onto perdition. Scripture talking about a double-minded man not getting anything. Like, today you're doing this, tomorrow you're not. Next tomorrow you're like, eh, you're not sure, right? And then how that's such a person, double-minded, lukewarm, is going to be spat out. The challenge with consistency, or one of the challenges with consistency, is this touchy-feely book world. Next slide. And that brings us to, I would say, the final section of our conversation. Hard things are hard for a reason. Go on if you easy, right? Um, hard things don't feel good. Hard things don't necessarily make you happy in the immediate. And we're in this age where there has been an elevation of feelings above a number of things, including common sense. And that is likely, or is more often than all, what leads to inconsistency. So today you wake up pumped you feel, because you're feeling good. I'll do 20 reps today. Tomorrow you wake up pumped. You're feeling good, you do 50 reps. Next tomorrow you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're like, you know what, what's all this about? Anyway, as we go into, as we go into um, this section, I need to drop a pinch of salt first. I must have an authority on this matter. This whole thing about feelings, right? Um, it has been said of me certain things that I do not agree with um, that err towards the robotic, but I don't agree, Sha. Um, and then, when I say feelings, I'm not referring to physical pain. Those are there for a reason, right? Um, you hit your, head, your leg on something, it's, it's there to let you know something is going wrong somewhere. Attend to this, right? Um, so by feelings, I'm talking about the feeling of happiness, emotions, right? Okay, so let's get in. I'll talk about five things um, I have learned about feelings in perhaps the last couple of months. Because the last couple of months have been very touchy-feely. Right? So the very first thing is a no-brainer. Feelings are very real. Whether you like them, whether you don't like them, they are there. Whether you choose to express, suppress, compress, oppress, it's that there. Right? Um, 
And the Bible recognizes feelings. You see how David talks about his soul being downcast and, and him being happy and all of that in the Psalms. And then you also see that Jesus wept, right? The nights before the crucifixion, he was greatly troubled, right? See, they're very real. No questions asked. Second thing about feelings, it can be argued that they or their ability to feel is God-given. Yeah, I bet you didn't see that one coming. So let's, let's quickly talk about the science of happiness, right? Um, and happiness, because that's the easy one to decipher. By the time you get into anger and all of that, it gets complicated. Right? Um, oh, I see that, that got mixed up there as well. Okay. So happiness is basically triggered from the limbic system, the mammalian brain. I'll, I'll keep it there. And there are, there are basically four chemicals that make you happy. Dopamine, it's your reward system. Serotonin, it's basically pride, based on your social order or social status in, in social order. Endorphin is making you oblivious to pain so that you can survive even if you're, you're injured at this point in time. But I don't know if anybody has had any accident and it's maybe like a day after, you're now feeling certain things, right? And oxytocin, which is the last one that is blurred, um, speaking to community, um, from belonging, from being part of a group, um, from, from not being alone. So those are, the, those are the happy four, and then there's just the mighty one that makes you feel bad, cuts us all. And it basically does this to promote your survival. Right? Um, so the limbic system, although it's the old system, um, is the old brain. We then have a new brain that is the cortex, that is the bigger one that we all see, that we all draw nicely, that looks like Indomie. Right? Um, now, these two brains are not on speaking terms. The limbic system works once it wants, and the cortex is basically the break. So the limbic system is like, hey, shiny, I want it. And the cortex is like, OK, does this make sense? So the cortex is your, the logical side part of reasoning, right? But the limbic system wants what it wants, right? So let's, let's look at this. Genesis from one, two to six. Um, the day I saw this, I was like, interesting, because I've not exactly had interesting relationships with feelings. Right, so from, ten, from one to six. Then God said, let us make money in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion on the line dominion, serotonin, social order. Um, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Dopamine. Reward centers. So when you eat, rush of dopamine. When people procreate, procreate dopamine. Because, hey, be fruitful and multiply. Reward centers. Right? Um, and then, we then see in Genesis 2, um, from verse 18, where I think this is actually the first thing that the Bible records God saying as not good. I mean, throughout creation, we see that, oh, he did this, it was good. He did this, it was good. This was good. 2.18, we see it is not good for man to be alone. Oxytocin. The happy chemical release when you are part of a community, part of a group. Endorphin, I would say, is basically pushing through the pain. It's key to your survival. All right, so if you get injured, you need that to keep you going for the time being. Um, I'll also guesstimate that cortisol may have entered the building post four. Um, cortisol is basically what makes you feel bad. And think about this. Up until the time they heard the voice of God and ran and hid themselves, or, funny enough, I've never thought about that. But yeah, one time when they did that, there was no bad feeling. Right? So the eating of the fruits, I would opine, is what led to cortisol in. So they knew, they knew, they had knowledge of good and bad, so they knew what was bad to make them feel bad, right? Okay. So 
Now, the whole point of, I mean, if we, if we look at the story of creation and how that there was this mandate given, the point of these um, chemicals would have been to spoil you on or to help you fulfill the mandates given, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, dominate, have dominion, blah, 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 right? But with the fall, of course, we know that things got tweaked, things happened, and it became a slippery slope from there, where rather than spurring us to um, achieve the mandates, they became the control in some sense, right? Okay. Hmm, that's an interesting topic. Okay. Third thing. Um, and I think I'll dwell here for a little bit. Your feelings are the result of your perspective or perception of an event or state. Right? So your feelings are not absolute. They are based on a map of meaning. It's one of the reasons why the same thing can happen and two people will come away with two different feelings about, the thing, about that thing. Right? So, um, and it's because of how they both interpret said thing. They have a map of meaning, or oh, doing this means this. Or if this person did that, this, or said that, this is what it means in my dictionary map of meaning. And how that map of meaning, or how that dictionary is formed, is nature and nurture. There is the pre-configured, and then there is that which you learn through experience. It's one of the reasons why people tend to have culture shocks. So in this culture, something is allowed, um, because nurture. In another culture, you get them like, no. You hurt my feelings. I didn't like that, right? Because maps of meanings. They are not absolutes. They are perceptions. And because they are perceptions, they are prone to cognitive errors. Um, so while working about with different maps, um, and some of them, and I would say a lot of them are unique in their own ways, I'm prone to cognitive errors like the availability bias, like what's the most recent experience that comes to mind regards this thing. Or even the confirmation bias, you're holding on strongly to a point of view about this thing, and so because of that, you are sticking to it and interpreting all events through that lens. Um, so, because it's a perception, that is where the validity of your feelings lie. I'm sure one of the things we must have heard a lot in recent times is your feelings are valid. Well, yes, your feelings are valid because you are operating based on a dictionary, a map of meaning. So you would have observed something and interpreted it in a certain way. And for that reason, the equation is valid. Does it make your answer correct? Not necessarily. But as per, you have, or it can be argued that you may have reason to feel the way you are feeling, based on your map of meaning, right? So your feelings, are valid, but that's not the end of the story. Now, because your, the maps are different and can be warped or distorted, this is where we now see the big picture. Um, and I'll talk about, um, I think because of time, I'll probably just skip that for the next, next points. But this is where we see the big picture. And it's one of the reasons why talking helps. So if you're feeling a certain way about some, something that you share with somebody else, and you guys are having a conversation around that thing. What that does more often than not is that it exposes you to that other person's map of meaning. And you can see that same event from a different perspective. Right? So, valid, but not complete. Next one. Because they are perception-based, they cannot be trusted to accurately define or reflect reality. 
you can't take your feelings as, <laughs> what's the word? A <laughs> because of truth is not the word, but a, <laughs> would I say repository of truth? You can't, you can't take your feelings as truth or as reality in and of themselves because while they may be valid, they're not a complete picture. And again, this, this brings me back to the whole thing about why talking and therapy helps because they help you re-evaluate your map of meanings. I mean, you, you have those, those funny therapies that the only question they ask you is how does that make you feel? And how does that make you feel? And you keep going down and down until you, until you find out the core thing that makes you, the core definition of your map of meaning that makes you feel a certain way about certain things, right? And it's one of the reasons why James 5.17, um, confess your faults to one another, um, that you may be made whole. Because your feeling may be myopic, is likely myopic. Valid for myopic. When there is that conversation, then you are made whole. You see a bigger picture, right? So there's, there's this thing, that, thing with rubber stamps um, that I, I think is, is probably the ex, extreme side of your feelings are valid, where we tell you your feelings are valid full stop. We validate your feelings and leave you there. I think it, it, it tends to idiocy because, yeah, sorry, it's a harsh term. <laughs> it's not a complete picture. Like, see a bigger picture. Like, especially when said feelings is not balanced with truth or fact. So, I feel like this, so I am this. Regardless of what you are looking at, regardless of what you can see, I won't say more than that, but, but, but you get the picture, right? And here's the other thing about feelings. I don't know if anybody has been in those times. Um, I have been in a lot because I was pretty mischievous growing up. Where you feel like you are going to die. You know, you've, not, you've never been, wow, okay. Like maybe you've done something that you're like, somebody will kill you, like literally. Maybe, maybe you had, taking me from the pot is too light. But done something that grievous and you have this feeling that, this is how the thing is going to turn out. I mean, the fact that you're here today means you did not die, so I don't need to ask you the question, right? Lastly, feelings can change. And how you change them is to tweak the map of meaning. This is where the truth setting you free literally comes in. Now, you understand that your feelings are real? Your feelings are... God-given, agreeably. Um, your feelings are perception-based. Or your feelings cannot be trusted in and of themselves without balancing with truth, fact. This is where changing your map of meaning to align with the truth in the manual changes your feelings to get you consistently doing hard things. Map of meaning. Count it all joy when you are faced with this, 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 and this. On a normal day, you won't count it all joy. It doesn't feel like all joy. But you are tweaking your map of meaning to align with truth. That way you count it all joy and you, con you stay consistent. You are not tossed to and fro. Right? Speaking about it now from the science, or from, from the science of things, um, the brain is there's a term referred to as neuroplasticity, where um, you can actually rewire your brain 
certain things that would have made you feel bad or made you feel sad or made you feel angry can be required to do the opposite. Is it hard? Yes. Would it take consistency? Yes. But it can be done. And you would have to make the hard choice. Because it's always a choice. In closing, um, I'll say four things. And then I think my time is pretty much up. I don't know if anybody has any question. But in closing, first things first, avoid frustration. This whole, me, I know, go so far. You won't beg for bread, huh? but it's that first part. Uh, okay. But I mean, expect hard things, embrace hard things, and don't just do it for the sake of it. Do it with two things in mind. One, that the end is joy, the end is glory. There's that which works in you. And then secondly, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah? He's right there with you through it all. You're not alone. Right? Secondly, maturity is a choice. There's no middle ground. You're either choosing to be mature or you're choosing to stay childish, choosing to remain a slave. But it's a choice. It's not something that falls on you. It's not, <laughs> it's not something that falls on you. You, you choose it. Thirdly, let truth lead. Put your feelings in the back seat, balancing them always, always with truth. And lastly, do hard things consistently. It's a win-win. I mean, think about if you're trying to push this wall, for example, um, which is technically what people pushing up try to do. They're trying to push the floor. The floor never moves, but it changes them. It's a win-win. You don't lose from doing a hard thing. At least not, not the way I'm looking at it right now, right? You, you don't lose from doing a hard thing, right? So do hard things consistently. Thank you very much. All right, questions? Anybody? Yes, no, yes, no. Okay, I think as... As we're thinking about that, I think the offering basket can also go around. Um, we give our tithes and offerings in this house, as is stated by in the word of truth. First God. Okay, so we've spoken about doing hard things consistently, and we understand the folly in soft life, right? So how do we... Now... I'm going to ask this question from the perspective of someone who has always been about the tough life and has a particular... I'm literally coming up with this as we go. Yeah, I'm trying to bring a context into this, but I'm trying to, so just permit me. So someone who believes a certain reality and already lives that reality and also... Um, enjoys stuff life in that sense, right? And I'm not talking of the rest stuff life. I'm talking of the stuff life that's outside shackles. Exactly. So, how do you bring that person to um, re-engineer their, their brain, right, in that sense, from, first of all, 
destroying that altar of reality that they believe, profess, and live, which is obviously already detrimental to themselves. Yeah? So it's not like you don't need to wait for another set of weeks to show them the consequences. They're already experiencing these consequences, but are still hardened on this is what it is and that's what it is. Do you get? So how do you help them to go from that place of already experiencing these things, right, and um, rewire their brains to embrace the shackle that is needed to experience the actual of life? I don't know. Did that make sense? Yes, you did. It's actually a tough one. Um, I just remember the saying now, but it says it's something. It's something like it's. I think it's difficult. Um, something around it's difficult um, changing from what is to what should be, especially when what is has worked for you in the past, right? And I think here's here's how I'll, I'll put into picture. So if I had flown that drone and I did not break any bleed. My mind, I'm doing all right. I'm okay. There are probably certain aspects of the drone I would not have known about or experienced because there were so many tricks I found out when I, I read the manual. But so for you to come and tell me that I don't know how to fly a drone, of course I'll argue with you. Like, is it not flying? Like, are you joking? Um, but I, I'll, I'll tell you two things. Firstly, you already said that the consequences are evident. I guess it would be to point to the consequences. Say, hey, this result of this, this is how this should have been instead. And then, I mean, beyond the consequences showing up in the now, there are the consequences in the tomorrow, there are the consequences in the hereafter. Um, and highlighting, highlighting those, at the end of the day, I'll say it's still a choice. Um, God, in his sovereignty, did not, after seeing and knowing the consequences, now push it down our throat and say, you know what, you must collect. Still a choice. The best you can do is open the person's eyes to see, but the person has to make that choice. Okay, so he put his hand up first and then I'll, I'll take you. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, my question is, doing hard things consistently, so I've, sorry, I've met um, unbelievers lots of them who have taken up that lifestyle of doing hard things consistently. So how, as someone that is learning to start doing hard things consistently, how do you now, should I say, minister the gospel to that person? Because that person is now reaping the rewards of doing hard things consistently. Okay. Um... So I'll try to, to would I say, delineate the answers, um, and perhaps some of the pastors can help me, you know, expand expand on it. But bodily exercise profited what? So as much as that person is doing a hard thing in this world, there is a cap to which the person can profit. Of course, God is a just person; it causes rain to fall on both the just and unjust, causes causes sun to shine on both of them as well. The world is set up. You sow, you reap. It doesn't care about what you believe, right? But the gospel is beyond the sowing and reaping in the here. The primary purpose of the gospel, primary, is about the hereafter. So, 
What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Through sowing and reaping. Through hard work. But lose his soul in the hereafter. So they were, they're, already, they're already technically taking a step in the right direction. They're already doing the hard things. What's one more hard thing? What's one more hard thing? Right? Like, which is actually a soft thing, but you get the point. Um, Yes, sir. My question is also based on doing our things consistently. And in life, we have to live by examples. So what I would like to ask is, how do we tend to motivate ourselves? Because everyone sees us around. What we do, we might not notice. So I would like to ask, how do we motivate ourselves to keep on trying to survive? <laughs> Especially, <laughs> I have an answer. <laughs> okay, I thought you had an answer because that's a hard thing. Um, how do you motivate yourself? I would say there's a limit to what motivation can do. Um, and, and we've seen this play out a number of times. I've seen this play out personally as well. You go for an event, you're hyped. You're pumped, you're motivated. What's that thing they say in camp again? Motivated, motivated, this is how you are, right? You're pumped. And then um, a week or so down the line, the pump has missed, right? But I think one of, one of the key things about, oh, I would say one of the cruxes of this, oh, interesting, okay. One of the cruxes of, of this is that you're doing a hard thing should not necessarily be hinged on how you feel, right? Um, should not necessarily be hinged on... I, I don't want to say motivation because motiva you can be motivated based on what you know you read. So I, I'll say, I mean, a couple of things. For example, Jesus Christ endured the cross because he set his gaze on, right? So there was a truth he gazed upon that helped him endure. So I say there's that. Um, but even with that, at the place or in the garden the night before, he still felt. I mean, he knew. He knew that was his purpose. He knew what was going to happen at the end. But at that point, he still felt, if you can take this cup from me. One can argue that he was not motivated at that point to go on with that journey. But he did. So I say, yeah, great to be motivated. It's helpful. It's nice. But... I wouldn't say hinge your doing of hard things on, because what motivation basically does is it gets you pumped up. You are feeling energetic, you are, we can do this, we can do this. Um, too many things I've done with Aspire to Aspire, but let me, let me not talk. There was a time, uh, let me just share this one. There was a time I had an app that sent me an Aspire to Aspire every morning. Every morning, what's the one? Boop. Aspire to Aspire, no, but like, it's a different quote every time, right? But even with that, <laughs> Right? Even with that, it can't be hinged on how you feel. It just can't. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, need to put. <laughs> okay, let's, let's have yours and I'll take the ones on and that will be about it. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> okay. So I just want you to shed more light on um, avoiding frustration. Because I know that when you 
try to do certain things that are hard, frustrations will come, definitely. So are you not supposed to embrace frustration and avoid it? Okay. Um, yes. When you try to do hard things, well, it depends. So here's how I define frustration. The difference between what you have in your head and what's, your, what's happening. So if, if, if the idea was, so let, let me use my own example. My idea was after one month of hard work, gymming and pushing iron and taking supplements judiciously, after one month I should see something. I did not. So I was frustrated because I had an expectation in my head based on how I had mapped out the world or based on how I had mapped out working out. When that expectation did not show up, I got frustrated and I let it go. So, yeah, in avoiding frustration, I think, of course, there are, there are learning curves, there are learning opportunities. What I should have done as, as opposed to holding on to that picture, that mental image I had, I should have gone back to seek truth. How long does it really take? Right, so in updating my expectation, I would not be as frustrated. I'll be more patient with the process. So in my doing of hard things, I'm not, give me a quick win now. It's a, I know this is going to take a while, but I'm going to go through the distance because I know it's going to take a while, right? So, yeah, you would definitely hit walls. You definitely, you could, you could get frustrated, but as opposed to staying frustrated, update the truth that you know, right? Okay, so I'm just going to take the ones online and that will be about it. Uh, should all hard things be embraced? Where do we draw the line? How do we differentiate? Yes, um, not all hard things should be embraced, right? <laughs> Where do you draw the line? Um, look at your manual. If the alliance was in the manual, please go ahead. Um, I think there was this example that Pastor Dami used in the Kappa series about the truck, the pickup truck going up a hill, right? Because it's built for that. You won't put a Toyota, what now, on that same hill, right? Because it's not built for it. So how you draw the line, look at your manual, right? And, and that was it. Is heaven an utopic equivalent? <laughs> I'll leave this for another pastor to answer. It's, it's above my pay grade. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't take any others, but thank you. I believe we've all given, yes? Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.